talks to us on Totus to us. John Pridmore talks to us about his journey from gangland to promised land. Maybe you'll join me in a prayer in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I ask you to open our hearts to all it is you want us to receive. Help us to know how loved we are and how precious we are in your sight. And we ask this through the intercession of Mary, our mother. Mary, take each one of us by the hand and lead us deeper and deeper into the heart of your Son, where we might find that love that we earnestly seek. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And we just invoke our guardian angels. Each one of us has an angel that looks on the face of God. So we ask them to be present in a special way. And any seeds that God wants to sow, they might fall on good soil in our hearts. O angel of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. And finally, can I just ask you to think of your confirmation saint. When we was confirmed, we each chose a saint, and we just asked them to be present in a very special way to intercede for us. I was confirmed when I was 27, and the saint I chose was St. Thomas More, and he's helped me in a lot of situations. All you holy angels and saints, pray for us. I was born in Walthamstow in the East End of London, and I was baptised a Catholic, but I was never brought up as a Catholic. I never went to Catholic school, I never went to church. At the age of 10, I came home a normal night, and my parents told me that I had to choose who I wanted to live with, because they were getting divorced. Now I loved my parents so much, and I couldn't choose, because the two people I loved most in this world had just crushed me. So I think I made an unconscious decision that I wouldn't love anymore, because I really thought if you don't love, you don't get hurt. My mum ended up having a nervous breakdown and going to mental hospital, and my dad remarried. And my stepmom thought the best way of bringing up a kid was beating them senseless each day. So that was my upbringing. At the age of 13, I started stealing because I wanted someone to take notice of the pain that I was in. But because my dad was a policeman, it just added to the beatings. I spent what I wanted more than anything else in this world was for my dad to love me. But for some reason, he couldn't. At 15, I was put in detention centre, which is like a youth prison. It's meant to be a sharp, sharp shock. But I actually thought it was better in there than being at home, so I left home at 15. And my only qualification was stealing, so that's what I did. And because I wouldn't love anyone, and I certainly wouldn't let anyone love me, I took the painkillers that go with that lifestyle, the drink, the drugs, anything to take away the pain of not having God in your life. At 19, I was in prison again, and there was another change in me, See, the way I dealt with all the abuse I suffered as a kid was I was always lashing out fighting. I remember a priest friend of mine was working with Mother Teresa where they take the dying off the streets. And he came across this old man who had been on the streets for years. He was very bitter and very angry. And the priest knelt down to him and he said, we'd I take you back to the mother house. 
And we'd uh, feed you and we'd uh, clothe you and we'd uh, find you somewhere to live. And this old man spat in the priest's face. And my priest friend was furious. And he said, we offer you life and you spit at me. And he walked away in disgust. Well, he got back to the mother house. And as he walked in the mother house, there was a 17-year-old girl there. Now, he had known that this girl had been really badly abused in her life. And she was lashing out, screaming at this sister to get away from her, even though this sister was only trying to help her, even scratching this sister. And he was about to walk over and help the sister when Mother Teresa walked in. And she saw this incident, and she walked straight over to this 17-year-old girl, and she hugged her. And she hugged her for over an hour. And at the end of this hug, this girl was crying and smiling. And my priest friend said, if only I had the faith of Mother Teresa, when that man had spat at me, I would have hugged him to show him that someone loved him. Well, I was put on 23-hour solitary confinement for fighting. That means you're locked up on your own 23 hours a day. And by this time, I began to hate myself. Because if there's no love in your life, there's always hatred. And I seriously thought about taking God's greatest gift, my own life. But God must have been there, even though I didn't know it, because I didn't take my own life. But I came out of there more angry and more bitter than ever. And I thought, what you want out of this world, you have to take, because no one gives you anything. And I started bouncing around the East End and West End clubs of London. And I met some guys who seemed to have everything. They had the money, the power, the best drugs, the best girls. And I thought if I could obtain what they've got, that would satisfy this emptiness in my heart. So I started working for these people. But before very long, I wasn't working for them. I was working with them. And these were the people who ran most of the organised crime in London. So to my shame, I was involved in major drug deals, protection rackets, vicious crime of all sorts. So I used to have this designer leather jacket with a sewn-in inside pocket, and I used to carry a machete in one pocket and CS gas in the other. And I don't tell you this to glorify the past, because there's not a lot of glory being paid to hurt people, but I tell you this to glorify God and what he can do in someone's life. And I obtained everything that the world says makes you happy. I had the penthouse flat, the sports cars, the 7 Series BMW, the Sport Merc convertible. I was earning thousands of pounds a week. I couldn't spend the money I got. But inside I was empty. You know our late Holy Father said that the person who gives us that desire in our heart to search is Jesus. And no matter what we receive from the world, it will never satisfy us. Because the only thing that satisfies that emptiness in our heart is Jesus Christ. My father, he was a very, very clever man. And he always used his head, but he didn't use his heart too much. Mother Teresa says that's the longest journey in this world, from our head to our heart. Because God comes in our head every now and then, but he lives in our heart. Well, my father, he died in September, but about a year before he died, a nurse said to him, you're a very learned man, but you've got to admit, there's always been something missing from your life. 
you've never been fully fulfilled. My dad rung me up and he said to me, she's right. Out of all these books I've read, everything, this little Irish nurse has brought me to what I need, Jesus. My dad died very close to Jesus and we were very close and I love him dearly and I know he's there praying for me. But his heart was empty. I had to turn to false gods. So I was on crack cocaine, smoking dope like it was going out of fashion, drinking really heavy, because drugs is a way of filling our hearts. Another one was sex. I was very promiscuous. I remember one girl I lived with for six months. She knew no more about me the day she moved out than the day she moved in. Because even though I was looked upon as being a hard man, inside I was a scared man. Scared of being rejected for who I really was. So I wouldn't open my heart to anyone. Because I was so scared of being rejected like my parents had rejected me. I was working a club that we part owned in the West End and I ended up hitting this guy and I thought I had killed him. And as I looked at this man lying on the floor, the only thought that came through my mind is I might get 10 years for this. And as I drove home that night, I thought, what have I become that I could take someone's life and not even care? That's what scared me the most. Because I used to care. I used to want to make a difference. But here I was just taking from everyone around me. And the only trinity that I was involved in was the unholy trinity. Me, myself and I. Well, I came in this normal night and I became aware of a voice speaking to me in my heart. A voice we all know. God within us. And I'll be honest with you, I thought God was a nice little story made up to keep us from being bad. But here I was faced with the fact that God was real. And it didn't really matter what I thought. And this wasn't a nice conversion. I didn't go running off to the daffodils with a Jesus Loves Me t-shirt on and suddenly all my hair grew long and I picked up a guitar and a pair of sandals on the way. This was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. I'd had people put guns to my head. I had been stabbed. But this was terrifying because that love that God had for me every day of my life, Without me being open to it, and certainly not being aware of it, on this night, he withdrew himself from me. Now people say that separation from God is hell. Well, if that was hell what I experienced, I pray to God no one ever goes there, because it was the most terrifying moment of my life. I remember a famous saint, St. Padre Pio, he was giving this homily once about there's three places we can choose to go. One's heaven, one's purgatory, or the other one's hell. And this young guy came up to him and he said, Padre Pio, I don't believe in hell. And he looked at him and he said, don't worry, my friend, you will when you get there. <laughs> well, when I cried out for another chance, it wasn't because I was sorry, it's because I didn't want to stay in this desolation. And I felt lifted up, and I walked out of that flat and I said the first prayer I'd ever said in my life. I said, up to now, all I've done is take from you, God. Now I want to give. And as I said that prayer, that emptiness which had always filled my heart was suddenly filled with the love of God. And in that moment, I knew God could love someone like me. Was I'll be honest with you, up to that moment, I always thought I was useless. And it didn't matter whether I lived or died. 
But in that moment I knew it did matter because God loved me. Now the only person I knew out of faith was my mum. And I didn't see a lot of her in them days. I might bung her an expensive present when I felt guilty. But this night I went round and told her what had happened to me. She said to me she had prayed for me every single day of my life. And two weeks before this, she had prayed, let Jesus take me. If it meant me dying, then let me die. But don't let me hurt myself or anyone else anymore. Well, I know how much my mum loves me. And for her to pray that prayer, it must have broke her heart. But she saw the monster I was becoming. I'll never forget the tears rolling down her face as I told her how I had found God, probably washing away all the pain that I had caused her in my life. My stepdad, who died the other year, he gave me my first Bible. I had never read a Bible in my life. I just opened it up randomly, and the first page it fell on was The Prodigal Son. I had never read one of these books, and the first thing I read out of it was the prodigal son. And I knew it was me. I knew everything I had taken from God, I had just wasted. And I also knew as he was starving, I was starving. Now I wasn't starving for food, and my money hadn't run out. But I was starving to be loved for who I really was. See, I'd spent my whole life wearing the masks to fit in with what other people wanted me to be. And I had never once thought about who I was and what I desired from life. I remember St. Francis of Assisi, when he first found God for three years, he said the same prayer. Who are you, Lord, and who am I? Who are you and who am I? He must have wore a lot of masks. And you know that pig food that no one would give him? Well, I was cramming it in, the emptiness of my heart. The sex, the drugs, money, power, thinking this would satisfy me. But all it did was make me sicker and sicker. And I didn't even decide to go back to the Father. The Father came and got me. Now there may be one or two people sitting in here, and you might think you're a million miles away from God. I'm here to tell you, wherever you're at in your life, there's one person who completely and utterly knows you, accepts you, and loves you and that's your heavenly father and he's looking in your eyes and he's saying come back to me with all your heart don't be afraid of the God who loves you the God who cherishes you there's a true story of a man and he takes his son to school every day and every day he takes him to school he says I'll be here waiting for you when you come out and every day the little boy looks through the classroom window and sees his dad waiting by the gates goes running up and gets a big hug off him. And his dad says, I'll always be here for you. Well, on this one day, there was a massive earthquake. We all heard about it on the TV and in the newspapers. And by the time this father gets to the school, the school's a massive rubble. And there buried underneath the rubble are all the kids. Well, his father starts pulling off the stones one by one. And some of the villagers help him. But most of them say they're all dead, you're wasting your time. Well, after 24 hours of this, this father's hands cut to bits by the stones. Everyone gives up. But he carries on searching, fighting back the tears and calling out his son's name. After 36 hours, he hears a whimpering sound and he calls out Ahmed. And he hears the words, Papa, Papa. 
And as he removes these last few stones, half the kids are still alive. And his son was heard to say, I told you my father would be here for me. I told you my father would be here for me. Well, how much that father loved his son, I realized God the father loved me a million times more. And he had never stopped searching for me, even under the rubble of my sinfulness. So I suspect I started searching. And I started wondering where the true faith was, because I wasn't brought up in any religion. And I met this old priest who told me about a retreat that was happening. Well, I'll be honest with you, I thought a retreat was lying on a beach, Bacardi breezer, joint, nice bird, just chilling for a couple of weeks. And I thought I could do with an holiday, so I'd go on this retreat. Well, as you've probably worked out by now, they're not quite like that. So when I got to this retreat, there was about 250 young people. And some of these young people had a joy I had never seen before. And some of them was coming up and hugging me. Well, I don't know if you know ex-gangsters, but we're not into this hugging business, yeah? Like the girls, it was fine, but the guys, please. You don't hug other men down our way, you get a slap, do you know what I mean? So that was the first thing I had to get over. But then there was a talk, and this talk was, Give me your wounded heart. And as I listened to this priest speaking about how every sin we commit is like a wound on our heart. I was looking at a crucifix. And for the first time in my life, I knew why Jesus had died on that cross. Because the darkest, most terrible sins I had ever committed in my life, he gladly carried in his heart to that crucifixion. And I was filled with real sorrow for my sins. But much more than this sorrow was this incredible joy in my heart because it was like Jesus saying to me, John, I love you so much, I'd go through this all again just for you. And I started crying. I cried for the first time since I was 10 because that love that I so much wanted, I found. I couldn't believe anyone could love me this much. We do a lot of prison talks and about... Two months ago, I was in a prison in Birmingham and I was speaking mainly to lifers and one of the guys in there was in for a double murder and in the middle of my talk he began to cry openly. Now you don't cry in prison because they look on it as weakness but he was crying openly, couldn't care what anyone thought. And I said, you know that retreat where I found the personal love of God for me? I cried for five days, I couldn't stop crying. I said, it's okay for real men to cry. In fact, if you can't cry, in my estimation, you're not a real man. I walked out of that talk and I said a prayer to Our Lady, much like the prayer we said when we started. And I said, what is it that your son wants me to do? Well, like any good mother, if you go home and you're hurting and you're in pain, the one person you can rely on is your mum. She's never done give up on you. Well, our Heavenly Mother, she loves us a billion times more than our earthly mothers. She knows every hurt, every pain in our hearts. And she longs to take them out. But the only way she knows of taking them away is by leading us to her Son. I don't think it was any coincidence that when Jesus was dying on that cross, at that moment he said, Behold your mother, mother behold your son. Because when we're frightened and we're scared, Mary is always there 
to lead us to Jesus. There was this um, boy I met who was 17, and he said how he came home one day, and his mum called his brothers together, and she said that I've been to the doctors, and the doctor has said I've got inoperable cancer, and I'm going to die within three months. Well, this 17-year-old was absolutely devastated, and he didn't know where to go or what to do, and he's walking through the streets, and he walked past the church, he hadn't been in a church since he was eight. And he walked in this church and there, as he walked in, was a statue of Mary. And he knelt down at this statue and he said, Mary, you know what it's like to be loved by a son. I ask you to save my mother. And if you save my mother, if you beg Jesus to save my mother, I'll pray the rosary every day for the rest of my life. Two weeks later, his mum went for further tests and there was no cancer. Now the doctor said that they had made a mistake, but he knew that Mary had healed his mother. So he started praying this rosary every day. And after about two months he remembered when he was about seven he was scared of the dark. And his mum had taught him a prayer to Hail Mary to help him over his fear. But as soon as he had got over his fear, he forgot to pray it, and he thought it was a little reminder of Mary not to forget his promise to her. When I said that prayer, what is it that your son wants me to do? I felt a whisper in my heart, go to confession. I had never been to confession in my life, and I had broken every commandment there was, and I was a prisoner of that sin. But somehow, Mary gave me the courage to go to confession. And I was there over an hour. And at the end of this confession, this priest puts his hand on my head and absolved me from my sins. But it wasn't his hand, it was Jesus' hand. And I knew that Jesus had truly forgiven me for all the terrible stuff I had done. See, I didn't realize our heart is like a window. And on one side of that window is God's love that's pouring down every minute of every day. But on the other side of that window is the stain of our sin. And eventually we can't see how much we're loved. All we can see is our sin. Well, I took all that sin and I tipped it out of the foot of the cross. And it was like I was alive again. I could feel the wind on my face. I could hear the birds singing. I truly believe that there is only one place on earth we will get rid of our sins. And that's the anointed hand of Christ on earth, the priest. I tried this Protestant idea three times to confess direct to Jesus. I felt exactly the same as when I had started, as when I had finished. But when I went to the anointed hand of Christ on earth, the priest, I knew I was forgiven in my heart. You know, Jesus says it in John 20, 20. Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been to a priest's ordination but it's tangible. You can actually witness and feel the Holy Spirit. He says, any sins you forgive will be forgiven. But any sins you do not forgive will not be forgiven. Christ's words. Anything we bring to the priest who is vowed in the person of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Anything we do not bring to the priest, they're not forgiven. When I was seven years old, 
I got a thorn. This is a totally true story. I got a rosebush thorn embedded in my hand. Now, I was petrified of my mum getting the needle out and start digging. You know, like mums take splinters out. So for three days, I hid it from her. I couldn't sleep, it hurt so much. But on the third day, she saw it. And in one second, she took this thorn out of my hand. Now, I was seven years old, and I thought, what an idiot. Why didn't I just go up to her and say, Mum, it's hurting me. No more pain. But say I had left that in there a year, or God forbid, 10 years or 20 years. How much more pain would it have caused me? Well, when Jesus looks on us, the children he loves and adores, he knows every sin we've ever committed. And he sees them sins as thorns piercing our heart. And he longs to take them out. But the only way he knows to take them out is if we give them to him. And when we give him our sins, he's not content with just taking them away. He wants to caress the very place where that sin was hurting us with his love. But it takes a humility to go to confession. We don't have confessions, by the way, after this talk. If you haven't already met Jesus personally, or you want to meet him in a new and vibrant way, go to confession and get rid of everything. Leave nothing out. Do you know what that priest was thinking of me when I confessed everything? Because that's the other thing that stops us being honest. It's because we think the priest is our judges. Well, that priest became a best friend of mine. His name's Father Slavko. He died the other year. He was crying. As I confessed all them appalling, horrible sins, he was crying because he was Jesus. He was Jesus. And if you want to meet Jesus, get rid of everything. You know, I was at a retreat in Derry just about two months ago, and there was a woman there, and we had a reconciliation service. And the next day, we had a healing service. She came to me at that healing service, and she said, for 17 years, I carried this sin. And for 17 years, every day I woke up, this sin was weighing me down, so I couldn't have any freedom. She said, last night, I got rid of that sin. And today I woke up and I was alive again. She was crying her eyes out. She said, why was it that I carried that for 17 years? Why was it that I carried that for 17 years? Then there was a mass. Now I was never brought up as a Catholic. So when these people started saying that this white thing was meant to be Jesus, I thought I was on the wacky farm. Because it doesn't look like Jesus. It looks like a piece of bread. And they kept on saying, this is our Lord. And I kept on saying, you are nutty. <laughs> but at this Mass, I said a simple prayer. Now, maybe my heart had been open because I had been to confession. Because it's not unusual if we make a real, true and honest confession that we know the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. But I just said, if this is truly you, Jesus then show me, because I don't understand. As I received Jesus on that day, the only way I can describe it to you is every good feeling I ever felt in my life, including how I felt when I walked away from that flat, including how I felt when I walked away from confession, was magnified a million times. And I knew that that was Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul and divinity, 
Not because someone had taught me out of a book, but because Jesus Christ himself had shown me. And I'm not special here, people. I'm no more special to God than any one of you. He loves you just as much as he loves me. Why maybe you don't know that that's Jesus? Well, maybe you've never asked him. Or maybe you've never made a real, true confession. Do you know, it's not so long ago in this country where our ancestors were willing to die for their faith. Were willing to die. Do we understand what our heritage is as Catholics? I live in Ireland now. I've never seen a people of so much faith in my life. The history of that country is beyond anything we could understand. Do you know, not so far away from here, there was a woman who lived in the time of Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I said, any priests who were caught would be hung, drawn and quartered. So it wasn't a great time for Father Jimmy to wander around the gaff. <laughs> well, this woman was caught hiding priests. She had seven children and she was pregnant with her eighth child. Now the judges didn't want to put her to death because she was a popular lady. She was always helping the poor in York. So they said to her, if you take the Bible in your hand and swear never to hide another priest, you can go free. But if not, we'll take you outside, we'll strip you naked, we'll put a stone behind your back, there'll be a board put on top of you, and there'll be great boulders placed on that board over three days, and you'll be slowly crushed to death. And the reason why they put the stone behind your back is so your back snaps, so you're in agony the three days it takes you to die. Now remember, she can go back to her husband and her kids. She said, give me the Bible. She took the Bible in her hand and she said, I swear by Almighty God, if ever a priest needs hiding, I will hide him. Because it's from his hands I received Jesus Christ on earth. They took her outside and they crushed her to death. Her name was St. Margaret Clivero. A normal mum who knew to the point of not just giving her own life, but her unborn baby's life for one thing, Jesus in the Eucharist. If only we asked for that gift of faith. If only we asked to have our ancestors' courage. I left that retreat and I started working for this little nun. She's about that eye. Every one of you know her. Her name's Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Do you know, I've never met anyone in my life who had no fear except for her. Maybe one other person, two living saints I've met. She had no fear of anyone or anything. Do you know, I watched her tell off the most powerful man in this world, the then President of America, Bill Clinton. Do you know why she was telling him off like a little schoolboy? Because of his appalling abortion record in America. Like a little schoolboy, he was cowering as this little old nun was telling him off. Do you know what she was afraid of? No one and nothing, because she knew she was loved. She knew that she was an incredible gift of God. The second part of this talk is about the problem with our youth. I've spoken in the last 10 years, I would say, to well over 
700,000 young people in schools in Ireland, England, Germany and America. The greatest gift in my life is to go into a school and to tell our young people about the truth of the Catholic Church. Do you know what I think the biggest problem with our young people is today? They're not taught the truth. And do you know what? They are so sick of these people, some of them Catholic, who want to give them spoons, so treacalized that they can't even swallow the stuff on the spoon. Do you know what they need? They need to know, first of all, that they're loved. They need to know that they need the Eucharist to survive. They need to know that they need confession to be given mercy. They need to know that the one true church is the holy Catholic church. That's what our young people need to know. But unfortunately, no one's out there telling them that because they're embarrassed by their own faith. Do you know one person who's the second person I met who wasn't afraid to say the truth? Pope John Paul II. He wasn't afraid. Even when the world told him to be silent, he would not be silent because he stood up for what was right. When repugnant governments said, we will teach homosexuality as an equal right of marriage, he said, this is wrong and repugnant to God. When our governments say it's okay to kill babies by the millions, he says, no, it isn't okay to kill babies by the millions. It's repugnant to God. When they say that the way of a country to be ruled is with repugnant laws, he says no. What do we say as Catholics? Do we stand up for what is right? Or are we one of those people, as Lord Orton said earlier this morning, who stay silent, like they did when the Nazis came to Germany? You know, I visited the Holocaust Museum, and as I was walking out of that place, do you know what he said on the wall? All evil needs to succeed is a few good men or women to stay silent. Well, look at our world today. What is the problem with our world today? There's too much silence. You know, I just want to share with you some of the miracles that we've witnessed. Not to make me look good, because I'm just a stone who Jesus decided to speak through. And I thank God every day for him breathing his life into me, because I was a dead stone. But I tell you these stories so that you might have the courage to know that if God can use someone as broken as me, he can use you in the same way. And it doesn't take a lot to be open to God. You know what Mother Teresa said when she was asked how she could do all the things she'd done? She said, simple, my heart was open that much to Jesus Christ. So it doesn't take that much to be open to him. We was in a school in Derry. We had been doing schools during the day and parish missions in the evening. We had been doing this for three weeks. We were exhausted. One of my friends in America, he said, unless you're going to bed every night exhausted at bringing souls to God, what right do you have to call yourself a Christian? Well, I was exhausted and I was frustrated and annoyed. And I looked at Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and I said, does what we do make a difference? Later on that night, 
a person said, there's a woman who wants to see you in the sacristy. So I went in this sacristy. She said, was you in schools today in Claudie? I said, I was. She said, my 15-year-old little girl, two weeks ago, she tried to kill herself. She slashed her wrists. She went back to school today for the first day in two weeks, and she wore a jumper to hide the stitches. She said, you came into that school, and you spoke about your story. And at the end of your story, you said, you can choose Jesus Christ, which is life, or you can choose living without Jesus Christ, which is death. She said, my little girl came home, and she told me word for word what you said. It took her 45 minutes. And at the end of it, she said, Mum, I choose life. I want to go back to Mass with you. I want to pray the rosary with you. And I want to go to confession. She said, I watched my little girl die when she was 11 because she stopped believing in God. This mother was crying her eyes out. She said, you don't know what you're doing in them schools, but never stop. I went back into that church and I was crying. And I knelt down and I asked Jesus to forgive me for my lack of faith in him. Do you know me and Neil, who's with me, we was in a school five years ago. And we invited these kids to come to a retreat. There was a thousand kids in this place. One kid got up and he said that he wanted to come to this retreat. He had been in care since he was nine. He was in trouble with the police and on drugs. He came to that retreat. He was at a healing service. And when Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament came round to him, I was next to him and he began to cry. And so I put my arm around him. He threw himself into my arms and he cried and he cried and he cried. And he said, for the first time in my life, I know I'm loved. Six months later, he was baptised a Catholic in Liverpool Cathedral on the Millennium Eve. I have the honour of being his godfather. He's now 18. And you know, just three weeks ago, he was going into schools with me and speaking about the love of God for him. We went in a place called Felton, which is a young offenders institute, and there's been a lot of suicides. And he gave his story in that Felton prison. And as we walked out, I could see that he was crying. And I said, what's wrong, Stuart? He said, I thank God every day that you and Neil came into my school because if you hadn't, I'd be in this place with them boys. It's through giving that we receive. Do you know, I started working with the homeless. I used to have this illusion that anyone who was homeless was either a druggie or a drunk. I remember one of the first guys I met, I said to him, you should give up taking drugs. He said, I don't take drugs. I said, well, then you should give up drinking. He said, I don't drink. Well, my last throw of the dice. I said, you should give up smoking. He said, I don't smoke. He said, but do you know what you should give up? I said, no. He said, you should give up judging. He taught me more than I could teach him. Another time we was giving out these sandwiches. We had some cheese sandwiches, ham sandwiches, and chicken sandwiches. I said to this guy, do you want a cheese sandwich? He said, no, I don't like cheese. I thought, the chick, he's meant to be starving. He don't like cheese. <laughs> well, he must have known what I was thinking because he said, just because you're homeless and hungry, it doesn't make you like cheese. I thought, good point. So after that, I used to say, would you like cheese, chicken, or ham? 
Do you know another group we used to take, a bit like some of the people in here who I know and have great admiration for, we used to take some kids to Lourdes who were dying with a cross. One of these kids was called Stephen. He had a cancer of the spine. I remember on this occasion I used to take him in my arms and he used to, this cancer used to give him terrible spasms. Just before he had one of these spasms, he used to pucker his lips to kiss me on the side of the face. He taught me more about love than I could ever teach him. Do you know another person who we used to visit with a housebound? One lady was called Winifred. She was locked up 24 hours a day. I used to take her out for a picnic and different things. And every time when we came back to her house, she asked me to pray with her. Now, after I finished praying, there was always a silence as if she was waiting for the spirit. This went on for six months. And in one time, she prayed. To my dying day, I'll never forget what it was like praying with Jesus Christ. Do you know, one time I rung her up and I said, how are you, Winifred? And she said, I'm looking out of my window and I'm looking at a tree. And I'm thinking how only God can make a tree. Do you know, sometimes when I feel a bit alone, I look at a tree and I know Winifred's there for me, praying for me and interceding for me. I was with her the night before she died and I gave her a rosary. She said, I know what this is. It's our lady's hand and she will take me to her son. But do you know who I was really visiting when I was visiting them homeless people? I was visiting a part of my wounded heart because I know what it's like not to have a home. And do you know I was really visiting when I was holding Stephen in my arms? I was holding myself in my arms when I was 10 because I know what it's like to be 10 and not loved by anyone. And when I was visiting Winifred, I was visiting another part of my wounded heart because I know what it's like to be in prison. It's through giving we receive. I can only say to you that the greatest gift in my life is being able to love. I couldn't love before. I couldn't love myself and I couldn't love anyone else. Do you know what I beg God for every day is to be able to love more. I was in a prison in Swellside speaking to lifers this week and there was a real spirit of intimidation, a real spirit of macho-ness all that stuff that I used to be caught up in. And there was 80 guys in there, real aggressive guys. And you know, at the end of that talk, it was the spirit of love. And a lot of these guys were crying. And you know what I said to them? I said, any spirit of anger, any spirit of intimidation will always be destroyed by love. Whatever we face, if we face it for Christ, we are always victorious, always.